Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. And welcome. This is the Investor Coaching Show. Talking the world of money investing, commenting on all of the interesting things going on. And there are some really interesting things going on, quite frankly. I am kind of blown away. I was reading The Economist this week. And uh, when I was an echo major in college, this was one of the required readings that we had is to read The Economist, and it's a British publication on economic matters. But it's always fascinating, always some interesting things that they're talking about going on around the world. And, you know, it uh, sometimes you agree with things, sometimes I don't necessarily agree with things, but it's always interesting. And just finding out what's going on around the world, because we just, we tend to be so myopic, focused on only what's going on here in America. And when you when you invest, you diversify internationally. <laughs> you own everything, which can be really great if you know if we screw up here in the United States and the dollar devalues. Then your international stocks tend to do really really well, and the dollar devalues. Our exports become cheap again for other people. So you know there are a lot of reasons that we diversify internationally. And too often, what we do as investors is we focus way too much on just US stocks. It, it's, you know, ethnocentricity. Remember that, I remember learning that term. I, I guess, uh, oh, gosh, I guess I was in maybe, I don't know, ninth grade, 10th tenth grade maybe, something like that. And uh, the social studies teacher taught it to us. And I was like, wow, that's a really neat word. Uh, but, you know, just the whole idea that we tend to think we're the only game in town. And it's just the way we are. But, uh, but, you know, really, we live in this whole world of countries with companies that are all interdependent and trying to work to their best interest, to their own best interest. And this, you know, this is, this is one of those interesting times, isn't it? I, w- I was looking at the economist who was talking about Australia. Now, you remember not too long ago, Australia was making big news with China. And... You know, you had this situation where Australia got really mad at China uh, because of COVID and, you know, that it was in a lab and, and, you know, all of that. And then they decided that they were going to cut off all ties and you know, a lot of the ties because, you know, Australia was a huge exporter to China. And as a big exporter, they were exporting all kinds of, you know, the natural resources and things like that. And China, you know, was really huge importer of a lot of things and really depended on Australia. Now, there was an article in, in The Economist says, is Australia coming off China's naughty step? And I was like, oh boy, I bet I know what this is about. And this is Mark McGowan, leader of the state of Western Australia's center-left government, goes to China on Monday on a trip that aims to reconnect the two sides China cut off bilateral ministerial contact and clobbered Australia with trade bans after the previous coalition government called for an inquiry into the origins of COVID-19. In 2020, 
Under Australia's new Labour government, the two countries are at least back on speaking terms. And I thought that was really, really interesting because, you know, they're, they're bringing things back. They're going, well, you know, maybe we'll give you some of our coal and uh, coal. Yeah. Get that right. Okay. <laughs> yes, you heard right. Coal. <laughs> People are so worried about environment. And what is Australia doing selling coal to China? Uh, irony not lost, and promised to review barley tariffs after Australia suspended the case against this week in the in the trade U.S. or the World Trade Organization. Well, you know, of course, now you got foodstuffs coming from where uh, Ukraine, and now now we don't have as much of that, so we got to go to Australia for that because there'll be another big exporter of those things. But it just is so interesting to see how this is, how these. Countries are going, well, maybe we, uh, you know, this trade is not a bad idea. We need to be doing this. Now, you know, the, the big topic of conversation amongst countries is not having real sensitive type of trade things, you know, where technology can be stolen, those types of things. But it's just, um, I find that fascinating that that's happening. There were also pointing out in The Economist that Japan was losing the electric car race and I think, you know, the educational moment there is, you know, what Japan had done is they were actually really good with the hybrids from what they were saying, and that they had made a bet on hydrogen, and that wasn't panning out yet. And I've talked about hydrogen, you know, as a potential thing in the future, and who knows where it's all going to lead. I mean, really, the technology is going to it's going to proliferate into the future in ways that we just can't even imagine right now. But I think it's just interesting that now they're trying to play catch up. And but you know, who knows, maybe they've been working on some of the other things for so long, that if things revert back to the other direction, that they may have a lead. And right there is a testament to how hard it is to predict, you know, companies will take risks. And I, th I think the lesson here is this, Companies will take risks, governments will take risks, and in this particular case, they may take risks that don't pan out. In some cases, they take risks that do pan out. And so often what we do as investors is we see something that really worked well, and we go, oh man, you know, it was just obvious all along that this was going to be the technology, the future, and you had to be blind not to see it. And it's called hindsight bias. You know, when we look back into the past and we say, hey, you know, this, it was obvious this thing was going to be the great thing into the future. We forget that it wasn't obvious at the time. Now, right now they're saying electric vehicles are the future. And, you know, people are shaking their heads and going, hey, I don't know. You got some infra infrastructure issues that could be really, really difficult. Matter of fact, that was another article in The Economist I was reading this week. It was about transmission lines. They were talking about how environmentalists are really fighting transmission lines and infrastructure and things like that that are absolutely required for us to have electric vehicles and electric transmission lines. They're fighting because, well, it doesn't look good. It's ugly. It's not environmentally uh, you know, sound or, or whatever. And yet the very thing that they think is going to save the world is what they're literally fighting, which I just find endlessly entertaining. And, you know, Japan said, hey, let's uh, try hydrogen. And, you know, people didn't go that direction yet. 
Is it possible that we will go that direction? Yeah, quite possible. And this is why we diversify so broadly as investors. Because you don't know where things are going to go. Who knows what the next technology is going to be that shoots us off in a new direction? And what I find that often happens is we pick companies, we pick stocks. We go, I think this company is going to be the future. And investors will jump on something that they think is going to be the technology of the future only to be wrong. And then you're not there when something else does well. Think of back into the late 90s and the technology. Technology stocks, nobody really knew at the time which companies like Amazon or Google or, or whoever were going to be the big winners in the future. Now, you had some guesses as to what you were seeing, what the trends might be, but you really didn't know who was going to do well. Now we look back and we go, oh, it was obvious XYZ company wasn't going to do well or ABC company wasn't going to do well. Yeah, you know, it was obvious, but it wasn't obvious. And as investors, what we do is we look back at these things and go, oh, you know, boy, if only. I knew this. And this is another thing we do. Something does well. And then we say, I knew all along that was going to be a big thing. I just knew it. Oh, did you mortgage your house on it? Well, no. Well, then you didn't really know, did you? We fool ourselves into thinking that we know. And uh, just jumping around as, as what's in the, the publication this week, SpaceX, they're talking about this monstrous, monstrous dirt cheap starship may transform space tra travel. And it said, when it comes to size and spectacle, the peak of the space age passed in 1973 with the final flight of the Saturn V rocket that carried the Apollo astronauts to the moon taller than the Statue of Liberty. The Saturn V could lug 140 tons in orbit. Its first flight in 1967 provoked Walter Cronkite, Walter Cronkite, uh, an American news anchor reporting far from the pad to exclaim, my God, our building's shaking here. As ceiling tiles fell around him half a century later, nothing as powerful has reached orbit since. And just talking about this is, man, you know, this is something that could possibly be putting people into space in the future. And you think, well, what is it going to look like? What are we going to be doing? And what are the positive things that could come out of this? And where is it all leading? Who knows? You don't know. It's just so difficult to try to see what's going to happen in the future. You know, if you ask somebody in the 1800s, early 1800s, you know, what it was going to look like driving around town and having traffic lights and having buses and, and you know, shuttles all over the place, you know, they would say, what? I'm getting on my horse. <laughs> you know, just even imagining that what things will be like in the future is just, it's overwhelming. And that's why I am always optimistic about the future. I always, there's going to be something, I've, I've talked about this many times, that, you know, one of these days we're going to be flying. It's going to be, we're going to be on these, you know, little airplanes, probably going to be these little hovercraft, not unlike the drones that we see, but they're going to be carrying people around and it's going to be commonplace and we'll be flying probably above the roads. So you're not flying over somebody's house. That's how we're going to be getting around. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced about it. 
I am absolutely convinced that's where things are going. And it'll be interesting to see where it all lands. Now, the other thing that was talked a little bit about is inflation. You know, we've been talking a lot about that here on the show. And, you know, what is inflation? Depreciation of the dollar. That's basically what it is. And that the news has been recently that inflation is subsiding to some extent. Will it go back the other direction? Will we head back into deflation? You know, I hear some people ask about that. And again, this is why we diversify so much as investors. Don't try to figure it out. You will not figure it out. Nobody's been successful at it yet. You probably won't be the first person that actually figures out the formula for determining the future. And yet we see people out there doing all kinds of workshops and seminars, and they're saying, hey, you know, you come to our workshop. And we're going to talk about what you do now that we have inflation. What do you do now that we have the possibility of the government debt issue, you know, coming up? How do you respond to it? And, and, and it's always do something. It's always change something. Always make a, a, a change in your portfolio. Jump over to this now because this is what's going to happen next. And recognize it's all market timing. Market timing is any attempt to alter or change your portfolio based on a prediction or a forecast about the future. And one of the things that I did this week is I talked a little bit about that in a newsletter. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a quick break because I want to spend a little time on the newsletter that I sent to our clients and just a little bit of what my thinking is regarding what's happening in the world and just a little bit of a, a more balanced way to look at it. Hey folks, I want to tell you something I'm really excited about. My new book, Confident Financial Planning, is finally out. It's in paperback, hardcover, Kindle version, and I actually have an audiobook version of it. Uh, it talks about building your financial castle. I use that throughout the book, talking about your investments, your financial plan is kind of like a castle. You have your savings and your emergency funds. I talk about that, debt, good debt, bad debt. We talk about special goal funds and how to set those things up and how to invest for those types of special things that you might want to do in the future. Types of retirement accounts, different types of taxation of investment accounts. Talk about real estate investing and pros and cons of that, how to project retirement assets, and your moat. You know, that's how you protect your castle. It's the risk management aspect of a financial plan. If you want to find out more about that, you go to paulwinkler.com forward slash book to get it. And I uh, hope you enjoy. You know, so one of the things that uh, I said I was going to talk about this newsletter that I had written to our client base, but I thought I'd share it with some of these thoughts with you, the audience, because I think it's important stuff. And I always like to start talking with my newsletters about the things that are the most pressing questions that we're getting in our offices and people that are kind of paying attention to what's going on there. Sometimes it's hard not to pay attention. It's hard not to, you know, focus in on what's happening in the news of the day and try to prepare ourselves and 
make sure to protect ourselves from whatever calamity might be coming, right? That, that's the idea is we tend to focus on the bad news because we think somehow we can protect ourselves from whatever calamity is coming down the road. And you know, that's anxiety, isn't it, in general, to fear the future? But it's more than that. It's more than just a fear of the future. It's also believing that somehow I can't, uh, I, I can't cope or I won't be able to handle what's coming. That's really what anxiety is. It's the feeling that there's just, you know, whatever's coming, I'm just not enough to, to, and I don't have enough resources to take care of myself or, you know, that there's no way that I'm going to be able to take care of myself and my family and everything's just going to fall apart, right? So I was talking about the inflation and the dollar crash, and, and this has been a topic of the past few weeks. So I was talking about that, and I said, hey, look, you know, this is the big deal. Inflation, of course, is the dollar losing its pur purchasing power. So that's related, right? So we hear about both. And when we talk about the dollar crashing, it's a lot more dire, isn't it? So we hear that term all over the place. And what I did is I put in there in the newsletter a picture of the chart that I had referred to here on the show before. But it basically goes back 10 years, and it looks at the dollar versus other currencies. It's just the Federal Reserve trade-weighted real broad dollar index. So it's looking at our currency, the dollar, versus a broad index of other currencies around the world. And what you notice is you got 2010, you have a weakening of the dollar. And then 2011, you got a strengthening. And then 2012, it's a weakening. In 2013, it was pretty much flat for the year. And 14, it jumped up a bunch. And then 15, it jumped again. Uh, 2016, fairly flat, you know, down, then up. And then 2017, it was down again. And it was flat the next year. And then it dropped the year after that. And then it went up from 2001, 2002. And then 2021, uh, 2022. And then 2023, down some. So it's basically back and forth and back and forth. If you get the picture, back and forth and back and forth. But in general, strengthening. Somewhere in the neighborhood of about, oh, about 25, uh, you know, if you look at the 25 points, you know, and they, they, they have this index level, you know, so it was at 90 where it started and it ended at about 115 or so. Okay, so it's strengthening. And what are we hearing? It's crashing, it's crashing. And I'm going, well, no, actually it's strengthened. <laughs> <laughs> hate to have the truth get in the way of a nice narrative uh, because whatever you're trying to sell people, because that's usually what it is. They're trying to sell people something. And when it, if the dollar does drop in value versus other currencies, one of the points I made in the newsletter is well, it tends to have the effect of increasing the value of international and emerging market stocks. You know, and if you diversify there, you know, that, and it's a decent part of the portfolio, that can actually be good for you. It's also good for U.S. exports because if the dollar drops in value, that makes our stuff less expensive to other countries and it makes it better to export and gives some help to those companies. Now, one of the other reasons, though, that was given for this impending doom was the Chinese-Russian plan to develop a currency that would compete against the dollar as a reserve currency, right? And, you know, point of his, yeah, that sounds really scary, doesn't it? Oh, my goodness. But then when you recognize that only about 2% of global trade was accounted for in 2022 in the yuan, which is China's currency, then you go, oh, wait a minute, 2%? Are you kidding me? And the other thing, the point that I make is that 
who trusts that these countries are going to resist the temptation to manipulate their currencies? That doesn't seem terribly likely that we're going to go, oh, you know what? You know, we never trusted these guys before. And now we're going to go and bet our own financial future on them. What? Are you kidding me? And the point is, is that we do what we can to protect ourselves from an uncertain world. You know, and, and how do we do that? And that is where diversification is so important. Yeah, if you're all in U.S. stocks like most American investors are, you could have some problems if this happens. You know, this is why we make sure that we have really, really broad diversification. If you're only in very large companies or you're only in very small companies, you know, some companies don't export, so they won't be helped as much by some companies you know, do export. Some people, are, some companies are overly dependent upon that. And you got to be very conscious of that. And what happens is that here's the, here's the real risk to you. This is the, you want to risk, you want the real risk? Here it is. The risk is when you try to figure out what's going to happen next and where things are going to go, and you go and adjust your investments based on that. Now, if you're properly diversified, well mixed between large, small, large value, small value, all the areas that I always talk about, and, and fixed income, keeping the duration short, and unlike the Silicon Valley Bank <laughs> problem, what they did, if you do that, then you've done, in my humble opinion, what you can do to protect yourself from what might happen. And, but, but here's the real risk, is if you are moving your money, go, I think I'm going to put more money in cash right now, or I'm going to put some money in real estate, or I'm going to go and shift more money to international stocks or U.S. stocks or whatever, that is market timing or tactical asset allocation, and it usually does not end well. And here's the thing. Face it, the news is unnerving often because why? Because it glues your eyes to the screen. And my, my recommendation is if it's just bugging you, it's, it's driving you crazy, I like watching because it's entertaining me. I, I look at it and go, oh, good grief. What are they saying now? But if it's unnerving to you, turn it off. You know, recognize that these news channels, they used to be, out there telling you what's going on, what's the news, what's happening in the world. Now they're spending most of their time telling you what is going to happen. And they don't have a clue what is going to happen. They don't have a clue what is going to happen in the future. So my recommendation, I tell people, go get out there, spend time with your friends. Go hang out with your friends. Go volunteer someplace. Go get outdoors. Because the reality of it is a lot of this stuff you're looking at and you're going and saying, oh, I'm going to watch this. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to go and make my changes based on my life, based on what I think is going to come down the path. And then all of a sudden they're wrong and you end up in a situation that was way worse than if you had done nothing. And I saw too, that, too much of that. I mean, I went back through this a couple weeks ago where I talked about you know, you had Y2K, people trying to, you know, figure out what was going to happen there, the tech bubble, they were trying to figure out what was going to happen, where, where things were going to go there. Then you had the real estate jump in value, and then you had the gold thing that happened, and then all of a sudden gold, you know, came crumbling down and, and didn't do so well. And then all of a sudden you have, you know, the 
remember the real estate stuff, you know, 2008, 2009, and then people trying to figure out what, you know, the, the whole thing with uh, TARP, you know, Troubled Asset Relief Program, how that was going to affect markets. Then they end up being wrong about that. And they were wrong about emerging market stocks. And then they were wrong about energy stocks. And then they were, you know, how many times do we go and do the wrong thing and think we're going to get a better result the next time around? Why do we do that? It is hard to break people from that habit. It's a huge challenge. And yet we've got to break ourselves from that habit. Because we don't do ourselves any favors when we're constantly trying to figure out what's going to happen in the future in an unpredictable world. And, you know, we have so much time spent you know, we have this conversation in our offices. People say, hey, Paul, you know, should we spend more time on tax law and, and you know, uh, on real estate? You know, I could spend lots of time teaching on tax law and those types of things and, and help you understand that. We do here on the show. But I think by far the biggest destroyer of wealth is the very thing that the vast majority of investment firms do which is move money around based on what's going to happen next, you know, get you to buy this annuity, and then you know, get you, you know, what was it, three, three, four years ago? You remember this? I was on this show, and I kept talking incessantly. You're probably driving you crazy, talking about real estate investment trusts and how there were investment firms locally recommending real estate investment trusts every, every time somebody went in their offices. I can't tell you how many people came into our offices and said, hey, you know, uh, this uh, firm, this other firm here recommended this thing. And we feel like, yeah, sorry, you can't get out of it because, you know, it's not traded. Uh, sorry about that. And uh, I wish you had come to us first because you wouldn't have this problem. Yeah, I, it, it was hard, you know, because I don't like to say those kind of things. But it was just challenging because people get into these, these things that investment firms recommend. And now all we hear about is how commercial real estate, you know, just crumbling all over the place. You know, the funny thing is, I can't remember the last time somebody walked in my office and, so, and had somebody say, hey, they just sold me this. I don't think they're selling this stuff anymore because it crashed. When did it crash? After they sold a bunch of it. And what was it? It was a form of market timing, which is tactical asset allocation. It's like commodities. People kept recommending commodities 2008, 2009. And I was like, don't do that. Don't do that. That's not a good idea. You know, it's not an investment. You know, things, commodities go up and down in value based on supply and demand. There is no cost of capital. And all of a sudden, commodities came crashing down. One of the biggest mutual fund companies out there well, I, I don't know if it is the biggest, but, uh, you know, they, they had, it probably is the biggest, but they had in their target date fund, their number one holding, their biggest holding in their portfolio for people retiring like in 2040 and after was nothing other than commodities. It was their commodity fund that they had as their number one holding. And I'm going, this doesn't mix. This is a bad idea. And then, of course, that went crumbling down. I think it dropped like 80%. It was something crazy. It was huge, huge. And it was the biggest holding in the portfolio. And this is what happens again and again 
when you use tactical asset allocation or a market timing a type of approach to investing. And I'm telling you, the biggest investment firms do it. You've got some investment firms. There, there's uh, one I somebody brought in at ADV one day. Uh, it's, it's a disclosure form for investment firms. Brought it in, and I saw it was, oh, it was like a dozen or more. I can't even remember. How many different investment approaches you could choose with this investment provider? Big investment provider. Big one in the Nashville area. And they had all of these different things that you could choose from. And I'm going, yeah, it's like choose your poison. Which one do you want? And that is unfortunately what passes as investment advice. But I'm telling you the biggest thing that you can do for yourself is not have this as an approach. Don't try to figure out what's going to happen in the future. You are wasting your precious time doing that because if the professionals can't figure it out, you're not going to figure it out either. And there are too many moving parts to figure out what's going to happen in the future. And that is part of what I, I'll spend my time on this show from time to time doing that, just reminding you of that, because it is one of the biggest reasons that investors fail. I would say probably the biggest reason that investors fail. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., PWI, an investment advisor registered in the state of Tennessee. PWI does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation. This information is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any securities.